HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio, and I'll be your host for this half hour. And you are listening to Heritage Radio Network. And today we're very proud to be sponsored by Whole Foods Market. Um, And on Heritage uh, Radio Network, I want to remind you that you can log in to listen to any of the archive shows at any time at heritageradionetwork.com. Today, we are talking about Jewish delicatessen, and we have with us David Sachs. Welcome, David. Good to be here. And David actually um, recently published a book called Save the Deli, um, out of his fear that they're going away, and we don't want to hear that. <laughs> so um, Jewish delicatessen, it it is something that everybody knows and loves and has experience. I have to say, I think everyone has experienced it. Sometimes. I hope so. But describe for us what you mean by Jewish delicatessen when you say Jewish delicatessen. Um, it's a restaurant where uh, the primary purpose is to serve the, the meat-based foods, what they call in Yiddish the fleischic foods, of uh, the Eastern European or Yiddish Jews. So these are foods that came out of the Jewish populations that lived in Eastern Europe for um, much of the past 2,000 years and um, sort of came together in, in, in the United States and, and in other countries is this kind of meaty canon um, with things such as pastrami and pickled tongue and, and corned beef, matzo ball soup, um, stuffed cabbage. These are sort of the best-known foods, which are... I guess, kosherified versions of Eastern European foods that then evolved and took on their own flavor and became something that was distinctly Jewish or Jewish American or Jewish Canadian. Well, how did you, um, how did you get interested in, or why? Why did you write the book? <laughs> you know, my family, what, got you, what got you going? What got me going? A hunger, a deep-seating hunger and a vastly low cholesterol count that needed to be raised. Um, <laughs> you know, my family grew up eating Jewish delicatessen in and around Toronto um, when I was young. It was something that 
we always went to and we always ate. Uh, and, and my family, my parents were from Montreal. And so we would always go back to Montreal to visit grandparents and, and other relatives. And my father would take my brother and I to the delis of downtown because he wanted to show us sort of his world that he grew up in, which was kind of the equivalent of, you know, or Lower East Side East Village here in New York. It was the old Jewish area where, you know, his father was in the garment trade and his father had actually passed away before I was born of a heart attack brought on by a smoked meat sandwich. <laughs> Not a good thing to advertise. But <laughs> I know. But, you know, and, and the six packs of cigarettes a day. I think that really <laughs> yeah. had a lot to do with it. But the sandwich makes a good story. But the sandwich <laughs> makes a better story and an opening to a book. Um, and, and so it was really his way of, of I guess, socializing us into our past. Uh, we didn't have a collective history in Toronto. My parents moved there a couple years before I was born. We didn't have relatives there. We didn't have anything to point to in you know, the Kensington Market, the old area. And so these, these trips to Montreal sort of showed us that these were special places. This was, this was something sacred. And then later on, when I was in Montreal studying in, at McGill University, I took a Jewish sociology class and wrote a paper with a friend on the sociology of the deli. We did it because we thought it would be fun. Um, you know, it, it, like most of the papers I wrote in university <laughs> and an easy mark. Um, but in, in doing so, I, I was talking and interviewing delicatessen owners that I knew because, you know, there was no primary source material. There were no documents that I could go to in the library. And they were all telling the same story, which was that, you know, this business is really difficult. Hundreds, if not thousands of delis have disappeared, um, across the continent. And, and, you know, we all think we're next. And, they all sort of said the same thing, whether I was talking to Montreal or Toronto and I would make phone calls to New York. And I realized that there was this trend that the Jewish deli really was on its way out for some reason, that it had been declining. And so I wanted to find out why. Well, and like any family-run business, eventually it reaches some sort of an end where someone doesn't want to take it over or there are other reasons we will get to. But first of all, I have to say I am so completely impressed, totally impressed, you actually, in your research, I know, went around to lots of delis and ate at a lot of delis. You actually worked behind the counter at Katz's? Yeah, I, I had the uh, lucky opportunity to, to slice meat for a night. That's one Katz's. brave man. <laughs> <laughs> it was foolish. <laughs> well, I mean, if anyone does not, if anyone has made a trip to New York, most likely they've made a trip to Katz's and and if they haven't then they haven't really been to New York no. but Katz's Katz's is once always has been uh, a scene now it's of course you know a, a certainly on the tourist maps but uh, you know, Katz's has always been a destination it I, I always say it, it's the per, if you want to experience New York in you know one quick thing it's the best place to do it because everybody from all all cross sections of New York society Jewish not Jewish black white Latino Tourists, foreigners, wealthy people, poor people are sitting next to each other in the same tables, eating the same food in this sort of madhouse carnival atmosphere that isn't put on and isn't sort of designed by anyone. I mean, it just sort of occurred this way. And so the opportunity to go behind the counter and, and work there, um, it was like stepping up to the plate with the Yankees. Yeah, I was going to say, and you've got, you know, you you better know what you're doing because the lines move fast and furious. <laughs> it was uh, it was literally being tossed to the wolves. I mean, they you know they showed me how to cut. Um, you know, I, sh I showed up and, and the manager, night manager Charlie, was like, "Okay, um, John." John was one of the cutters. Like, John, this guy's David. He's, he's starting tonight, which is you know. That doesn't happen. I mean, guys who start there generally start when they're 16, sweeping the floors and work their way up, you hmm. know, in four, four years or so, they can start cutting stuff. So here's some schmo comes out of nowhere. And he's like, yeah, show him how to cut. And he kind of gives me this look like, who the hell are you? And he 
So he's like, all right, yo, watch this. Takes one, takes a big carving, or carving fork, stabs it into the steam tray. Um, and, and just fires off, like, you know, puts the pastrami in the thing, fires off a bunch of slices, slices it in half, throws it on the bread, paints the mustard. like, yo, that's it. You got it? All right, next. And that's it. I, you know, I was sitting there with a knife <laughs> and a fork in my hand and customers lining up giving me orders. I had no idea what to do, but, you know, I sink or swim. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about Katz's, more about the history of Katz's and the history of the deli in general when we come back. <laughs> How much is that pickle in the window? The one that's on top of the pail. So my vivo cost is that pickle in the window. I do hope that pickle's for sale. I have two. A pickle is good with hot doggies. Or salami what's hard like a brick. But never eat pickles with ice cream Cause ice cream and pickles don't mix Oy. How much is that pickle in the window? Is it sweet or sour, Mr. Borkin? I want me a pickle, a big one Cause a pickle too small is a joykin Hi, welcome back to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio, and I'm talking today with David Katz. The, David Sachs. Uh, David Sachs. <laughs> I, I've gotten that a million because times. Because we're talking about Katz's <laughs> Deli. <laughs> it's David Sachs. And David did a, 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 a wonderful book called Save the Deli on the history of Jewish delicatessen. How did you decide how you were going to start, start your research on, on Jewish delicatessen? Um, so, you know, once I had put together a book proposal and, and gotten the okay from a publisher, I, uh, or where did you, where were you going to start? Yeah. Where was I going to start? I, I knew I was going to start in New York and, and the first third of the book takes place in New York. And so I came to New York and, and when I was still living in Toronto, I crashed on a friend's floor for a month, um, and just started calling up delis and asking to interview the owners and telling them what I was doing. And, and, um, and that was sort of it. And that really opened up, you know, how the business works, the economics of it all, um, it, it really taught me sort of the basics of, of everything. Well, I, I was really um, impressed with how many uh, primary sources you have in the book. And by primary sources, of course, not the original owners of these dailies, but the person who bought it from an original owner or a second owner or you know, a member of the family. And that, you know, that today is so rare that we get, um, usually we have to go on, on historical records and look up things if they're you know no longer there so you did a, a great job in getting that down so because that might not be around but i mean i think that the the idea what i really wanted to do in my approach to it was was not take a, sto- a very you know historical angle and 
and I, I wanted people to experience what I was experiencing. Um, and so the only way you can really do it is, is to go there and taste and, and talk to the owners now. And, and in talking to them, you'll learn the history of their community. You'll learn where they sort of came from and whether it was their family or they bought it. Um, you'll learn about their customers, but uh, a lot of people were like, well, why didn't you write about, you know, this deli, which existed 50 years ago, or this deli, which existed 50 years ago. It's like, because, you know, what could I have written about it? I mean, I could have gotten archival things. I could have found old articles, but I wanted to write about places that were sort of existing in, in the here and now. And, and those would give me the richest, richest sort of flavors. And the voices you have in the book, I have to say, I can just, I can hear them. I can hear them behind the counter. It's great. Uh, well, so let's talk about, in fact, how Jewish delicatessen started, how, how the, you know, where they came from, what. Uh, the Jewish delicatessen came uh, out of Eastern Europe, where the bulk of um, the Jewish diaspora lived until really the the late nineteenth century. And um, these people were in all these various communities. They weren't all just living in one block. They were living all over Eastern Europe, um, the Ukraine, Hungary, Romania, Poland, Russia, Lithuania. And you know, because they were they were religious communities largely. They kept kosher. And so they adapted Eastern European recipes um, into things that were kosher. So, you know, pickled pork products became pickled beef products. Um, uh, you know, pig's blood sausage became sort of a chicken fat sausage, kishka, which is, which is you know, the Jewish version of the Polish dish. Um, and so they – by adapting these, these things to their, to the, their culinary um, – rules they form this type of cuisine it all really came together though in in uh, new york at the uh, turn of the 19th 20th century when a vast amount of immigration from eastern europe of of jews uh, ended up in the lower east side some mm-hmm. uh, million and a half two million jews over the course of a couple short decades and suddenly people were living next to each other who um, could taste the food of what the Jews in Hungary were were having, and the Jews in Romania next door could show them how they could cook that certain dish, and it all really sort of came together. Um, and then it that merged that food that those flavors merged with the American institution of the diner and the restaurant and the sandwich to produce the the Jewish deli that we know today. So mm-hmm. it's kind of that amalgam of Eastern European Jewish flavors and sort of the American diner experience so in new york of course you went to the oldest deli katz's katz's right um and but then around the same time uh it wasn't i mean they were springing up pretty much um right i mean all over the place at that like point. like any ethnic community you're going to have with a huge amount of, of new immigrants there's just going to be a ton of small family-owned restaurants because that's something that people could do easily who who are there to feed the people in the community who are working i mean these were people who worked in the garment business and as manual laborers so they required a lot of cheap food and if you go to sunset park and, and go to the mexican area or, mm-hmm. or flushing queens and go to the chinese area it was the same thing it was just all jewish eastern european food well you talked um we were talking about street food earlier before we went on the air and you did mention um in your book about push carts and right. street food what how what, so and how that and then it evolved into right exactly i mean uh you know someone would have you know 
the, the husband would be, let's say, working um, the push cart and he would be pushing the push cart and the wife would bake knishes or bagels or pickle herrings or, or do these sorts of things and, and they would sell it in the markets and, and the streets in and around lower Manhattan. Um, these were very, very, very poor immigrants and, and so they just had to survive on the means that they could. And so, you know, the first thing they could do is sell bagels out of a basket or sell, you know, pickled pickles out of a push cart and then they could get a little money and, and rent a little space in a storefront and then that storefront would expand and they could you know turn that little takeout counter with a few seats into a, a bit more of a diner into a full-fledged restaurant and you see as you kind of go throughout manhattan the evolution of of these delis so you get the little tiny takeout places in the lower east side and then you got sort of the small dingy diner type places in the east village and then by the time people got up to midtown in the 1930s and, and 40s they're building these big lavish restaurants which serve everything and they have a you know full hot kitchen and full menu and the food's no longer kosher you know the stage right. deli or the Carnegie Delicatessen are sort of the well the show they examples. were they were showpieces and they were showpieces yeah. and it was also it was also at that time when they were really the food was really being integrated and accepted by mainstream you know non-Jewish America um, and and so you know there's a great record of vinyl album that I found called the Corn Beef Confucius. It's taken some time in the early 1960s, late 50s. Um, at the stage deli, they hooked a microphone up to Max Asnes, the owner, and he's going around and he's interviewing all these Broadway and showbiz luminaries, most of whom who aren't Jewish. But it's funny they you know they talk about the matzi balls and you know, they kind of pronounce everything <laughs> less than perfect. But uh, you know this this food was one of the first ethnic foods that Americans really liked. And people think of deli now as just something that's American. You don't think of it in the same as you would think of Thai food or, or Burmese food or, or um, Mexican food. Um, it, it's thought of as very American, but at that time it was this, you know, it was the trend. Let's go for deli, you know, Jewish food. It, it caught people's palates. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because um, you talked about the, the huge German um, migration into America early very early on and there were huge German restaurants and beer halls and mm -hmm. um, and they cooked some similar foods some of the you know preserved meats but those are gone and you can't you can't really find um, too many of those no. and uh, and it's we see that with a lot of um, when there are pockets or ghettos of of um, immig of immigrants, and they long for what do they long for? A taste of home, their food, and so all these restaurants spring up, and and as they then spread out and assimilate, we lose some of that that authentic ethnic culture, and that's yeah. I mean, you know, they move out to the suburbs, and and the thing is, you know, when you're when you're in a dense city like New York or Chicago, and in a downtown area or, or a sort of more urban area. Uh, the restaurants tend to be smaller because the real estate is smaller and, and you don't have the room for, you know, you can seat 50 people or 60 people or something like that. So you need several restaurants to serve the great numbers of people who live around there. Uh, and in the suburbs, you can get, you know, 3,000 square feet out in some strip mall somewhere. And that one restaurant can serve, you know, the same amount of people as um, four other places that were in the city. And so you know, it, it kind of dilutes it, and, that, and that's what happened. That's what happened with the delis, and I'm, I'm sure it's happened with other ethnicities as well. All right. Well, and as far as what's served in the delis, you said it's the meat, uh, you know, the meat restaurant. But you talked about the holy trio of, of meats, and those being, what, what did you? Uh, corned beef, beef, pastrami, and, and pickled tongue. And tongue, yeah. Um, and, you know, regionally, it's funny. People on the coast, so New York, Philadelphia, Florida, California, 
are really pastrami centric. Mm-hmm. And in the middle, in middle America, in Detroit and Cleveland, Chicago, um, people really go for corned beef. Corned beef is sort of the mainstay of, of deli culture there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Montreal and, and Toronto, they're really into smoked meat, Montreal smoked meat, which is kind of the bastard child of corned beef and pastrami. Um, and so, pastrami itself has a very interesting history, and that's, right. that's something that um, I would like to talk about when we come back. We'll take a short break. You're listening to A Taste of the Past on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Linda Palaccio, your host of A Taste of the Past, and we're here talking with David Sachs, author of Save the Deli. We're talking about Jewish delicatessen here on Heritage Radio Network, brought to us today by Whole Foods. I can't read this book or look at this book without getting really hungry. (laughs) A job well done, (laughs) thankfully. Um, I mean, you just, you know, talk about dripping fat off of pastrami sandwiches piled a mile high and you know my mouth waters <laughs> i remember going in because i remember you talked about you know cats's deli and and uh i remember going in and getting one ordering one sandwich and then you know having a, a loaf of uh levy's rye bread at home and making four sandwiches and feeding you know the kids and all the family off of one sandwich the abundance was standard yeah <laughs> but but Let's talk a little bit about pastrami because pastrami, you say that's, you know, that's really the oh, corned beef. Pastrami was sort of the king and then corned beef has sort of taken over in the delis around the country. But pastrami. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a very much a local thing. So mm. uh, and, and a lot of it depended on where the population, a large part of the population came from. So pastrami is is something that's associated with Romanian Jews and in some way Hungarian Jews. Um, it, it came from the east. It has those spices and that smokiness. And Polish food is much more subtle and, you know, pickled and a little bit blander. And so cities where there's higher concentration of Polish Jews in Polish populations, I think, have more of that proclivity for uh, for corned beef. Yeah. And actually, pastrami started out uh, being made from by, with, from geese and ducks. Uh, right. I mean, there there wasn't a tremendous amount of beef in, in, you know, that the Jews in Eastern Europe had access to. It was something that was reserved for festivals or for weddings. It was very expensive and, and difficult to raise. And so... The protein that they had most often was was geese and, and duck and chicken, um, which they would season and, and cure and smoke in the same way that they they did the pastrami. And only when they came to America and you know 
cows were just growing out in the plains and shipped in from Chicago that um, that beef became sort of the de facto staple. Mm-hmm. Well, you uh, in your research, you traveled. You really traveled coast to coast in uh, finding delis all around. And who knew in some of these uh, you know small areas around the country that there were uh, well. I'll ask you, authentic Jewish delis? I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, an authentic Jewish deli, um, the owner doesn't have to be Jewish. Uh, it doesn't have to be in a city where there are any Jews. It, it's it's the commitment to the food is what makes it authentic. Uh, Jewish if, style or kosher style right. deli, I should Yeah. Um, you know, it, if someone is, is existing to serve that food and, and make it well and make it from scratch and not just slice, you know, boar's head brand pastrami as we sit across the street from the boar's head factory. <laughs> um, it, it, that, that's, that's what makes it a, a genuine Jewish delicatessen. So I've been to genuine Jewish delicatessens in, you know, small, very surprising places like Salt Lake city. Um, huh. and, and yet I've, I've also seen, you know, not so genuine Jewish delis in places like Las Vegas and casinos, which are just trying to do a little bit of a concept of kind of bastardize the food. But, uh, I mean, Schwartz's in Montreal, we know, I mean, I know from, from Schwartz's in Montreal as being a, an institution. Um, but a few other cities um, around the country in America have, have their institutions as well. Um, and uh, talk about some of them, let's say, in, uh, from the Midwest to, you know, on, yeah, on mean, out to you know, California. D- Detroit has, Detroit has um, the stage, Zingerman's. Um, uh, the bread basket Zingerman's, you know. which has become this huge right. Zingerman's business. is sort yeah. of a nouveau, yeah. nouveau kind of gourmet style deli and, and food emporium. Chicago has uh, Manny's and the Bagels and and Kaufman's. Um, Shapiro's in Indianapolis is you know well over a hundred years old. Hmm. Uh, there are even places in Denver that are sort of more recent, but you know like Zadie's, which became local institutions. Los Angeles has a tremendous amount of institutions: Langers, Nate and Al's, Cantors, Factors. Brent's, um, you know, dozens of them. And Los Angeles is an incredible deli town. Yeah. Florida has, you know, a number, although there it's really been been dwindling. Um, and and even a newer place that opens can can become an institution very quickly. So next week I'm going to talk, uh, or in two weeks I'm going to talk in Portland, Oregon, at this deli which opened about two or three years ago uh, called Kenny and Zooks, and it's become a local institution. No, and it's, and Portland it's a fantastic is Portland place. is now setting the standard for a lot of food. I have never eaten so well in this continent as I've eaten in Portland. Yeah, it is incredible, that city. It is coming back. Well, you, um, I talked about how, you know, buying one sandwich and feeding four people from a family of four from one sandwich at Katz's, and, and, and it wasn't a joke. I mean, there was so much meat on the sandwich that there was no, it would, would have gone to waste. Is this in part, um, which is something that you brought up in your book, in part what's um, caused some of the at least financial demise of of the institution? Yeah, certainly. I mean, initially, you know, like I said, when when these delis were forming in the turn of the century, it was it was largely immigrants who were going to them, and and they could never have imagined in the shtetls of Poland or Rome or Hungary that they would be able to have. You know, a pound of meat. So much meat. Yeah, I think it it grew actually in the course of the past decades as a marketing thing. Whereas you know, one deli would say we have a big sandwich, the next deli next door would say we have a bigger sandwich, and they would sort of be these towers of Babel. Um, But delis make the least amount of money off of their sandwiches. Their sandwiches are kind of these loss leaders, Mm. where they they make a very small profit margin, and so it's very difficult because you know, fifty, sixty. 
80% of people who go into a Jewish deli are going to get a sandwich. And, you know, nobody really drinks beer or wine or liquor in delis. So they make very little money off it. And it's, it's very difficult that, the, you know, the, the thing that they exist to serve is kind of putting them out of business. Um, meat has gotten very expensive. Kosher meat has gotten even much more expensive mm-hmm. and, and difficult to, to procure. Um, and, and yet they can't pass those costs along to the customers because people just think, well, it's a pastrami sandwich. How could I pay? You know, you're going to charge me $20 for a pastrami sandwich. You're crazy. It's already up near there. I, mean, I know. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's certainly in New York. Um, and, and so it, it, it's been very difficult for delis to, uh, to deal with they're they're caught between what the customers expect they the customers want a tremendous amount of of meat for you know a reasonable price and it's it's just very difficult for them to uh to balance uh, it's just um amazing how it's a it is a taste that um so many people know and appreciate and you know it's not something you're necessarily going to go and eat every single day but you would you know you would hate to see it disappear you you want it there when you want it and i know this is a real concern of yours and, and you even have a website do you i not? even have a website yeah, save the deli.com save the deli. where you can go and meet all sorts of other deli loving freaks yeah, <laughs> and and there are plenty of them i'm sure mm-hmm. um one thing we didn't talk about and because it's it's known as something else in a lot of places and that was and that's something that you're grandfather uh, rest his soul was enjoying and that is speck that we you, you have to mention speck before we okay. before we have my to closing go. Re- my yeah. closing remark is is speck was the pickled fat from the top of the brisket uh which was then dusted in paprika and cayenne grilled and and sliced thin it was fat as a condiment on a sandwich mm. uh and uh, schwartz's in montreal was sort of the last place to do it Nobody, they don't even do it anymore. They they would do it on a special order, but um, it, it's a very sort of rare thing. It's it's gone the way of its customers. Yeah, we have fatty ham reason. that's speck, but it's yeah. not. But it's not the speck not that Jewish you refer speck. to. Not yeah. Jewish speck, Kosher right? Speck. Right. Uh, it's it's uh, just something that is makes your mouth water as you read about it, and uh, I can feel the grease dripping down my chin and <laughs> my chest. But we're here at Roberta's pizza and restaurant in bushwick and they have mighty good pizza so that's just gonna have to do that sounds good to me oh <laughs> uh, well david it's been a pleasure and um i we hope that we can keep the delis alive and if this hasn't made you hungry for a pastrami sandwich i don't know what will everybody but thank you for listening to a taste of the past i hope you've enjoyed this little culinary historic journey and again we are on heritage radio network and you can log in at heritageradionetwork.com and we've been brought to you today by whole foods market